Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to Mark chapter number 12, the book of Mark and chapter 12 this morning. Mark chapter 12, if you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. We would encourage you to pick up that copy with us and follow along. And you'll find your place, Mark chapter 12 this morning. And if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of the Word of God? Mark chapter 12, you're going to find your place in verse number 35. So across the top, you'll look for the word Mark, big number 12, we call that a chapter. And then the small number is number 35, and that's a verse. So Mark chapter 12 in verse 35, we're going to read down to verse number 40. If I should ask you a simple question this morning, how would you answer it? The question is, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? How would you answer that? Someone might say, well, sure, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I know about him. Well, sure, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I've been to church. And the question is not, do you know of him? The question is not, have you been to church? The question is, are you a follower of Jesus? Someone might say, well, I've been baptized. I observe communion. Now the question was, are you a follower of Jesus? Christians have a number of different ways to identify themselves as followers. Some people would say, well, of course I'm a follower of Jesus. I've got a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my pilot. Does it make you a follower of Jesus? Someone might say, well, I, I, I have a, a cross-shaped necklace that's make, that makes me a follower of Jesus. I, I, I have a, a t-shirt that says it. All, all of these things have been used throughout the years by Christians who try to say, this is what is identifying me as a follower of Jesus Christ. I've, I put it on my profile page. I'm a follower of Jesus. That makes it true. I don't have any kind of argument against these symbols, except that they are totally superficial. The religious leaders in Mark chapter 12 have come to Jesus and they've asked him question after question. What about taxes? What about the resurrection? What about the greatest commandment? And now Jesus is going to turn the table and he's going to ask them a question. And by asking them the question, he's asking it to you this morning. And it is perhaps the greatest question of all the ages. What is the identity of Christ? What is the identity of the Messiah? And why does that matter? Are you a follower of Jesus? Look at verse 35. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple... How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, By the Holy Ghost, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him, Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feast, but which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use these words in our lives. Teach us what it means to be a follower of you. Teach us who you are and why that matters for us. And give us the courage to proudly, to bravely, to courageously, to resiliently in this culture and time gladly identify ourselves as a follower of you. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Gallup did a recent survey and they surveyed individuals. Three out of four people said that they believe in God. About seven out of ten said that they believe that Jesus is actually the Son of God. Do those numbers strike you as kind of high? Three out of four people say they believe in God. Seven out of ten say they believe Jesus is the Son of God. Strikes me as high, especially when I look at the culture around us. I think we'd all have to agree, seven out of ten people are not living a life that reflects the teaching of Jesus. To say, I believe in Jesus, but to live as if God does not exist, or if Jesus does not exist, or if Jesus' words are not true for us, is to undermine the saying that we say we believe. Jesus' confrontation with these men, he, he is helping them to realize that there is an identity that we have as followers of Christ something more definitive than bumper stickers or cross necklaces or profile pages. The, he's saying these are true spiritual indicators that you are in fact a follower of Christ. There's seven of them that we make out in this passage. It's certainly true. There's much more than seven, but we'll, we'll look at the seven laid out before us here. Notice first, a follower of Jesus calls Jesus Lord. A follower of Jesus is someone 
who calls Jesus Lord. Look at verse 30, uh, look at verse 35. He says to the scribes, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, the Lord will say to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So verse 37, David therefore calleth him Lord, and whence is he then his son? So Jesus is not asking the scribes, he's not debating with the scribes whether the Messiah or Christ would be a descendant of David. The Old Testament prophecies and promises have made this abundantly clear. That Christ or the Messiah would come from the lineage or the line. He would be a descendant of David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, Jeremiah chapter 23, Psalm chapter 89, Isaiah chapter 9, Psalm chapter 132. Just to name a few. The Old Testament writers said, of course, of course the Messiah would be in the lineage of David. If, if Jesus did not come from the line of David, then the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they would have immediately rejected any claim that Jesus had made that he in fact was the Messiah. He wasn't from the right family. Kind of begs the question, doesn't it? Why did Jesus have to come as a human? Why did Jesus have to humble himself and take on flesh? Well, in order for the death of Jesus to be applied to us as humans, the Son of God, Jesus himself, must become human. He had to be human in order to save humans. This is what the author of the book of Hebrews, chapter number 2, is teaching us. It just shows us something about Jesus. Not only is, is revealing to us his humanity, but it's also revealing to us Jesus' humility. It's, it's, this is the heartbeat of Christianity. And Jesus humbled himself for us. And so the author goes on to write, and therefore you ought to humble yourself for others. That if you are truly walking in the steps of Jesus, then let this mind, Paul says, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus humbled himself for us. He took up a human lineage. He put on a human body. He put on human flesh. And he did so that he might die for you and for me. He said, well, why would Jesus die for me? The answer is very simple. From John chapter 3, verse 16. Christ died for you because Christ loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus Christ took on human flesh. God wrapped himself in humanity. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was born on that manger, on that fateful night, that very first Christmas story that Jesus did this and then he lived a perfect sinless life, died an atoning death, and then three days later he rose from the grave. And he did all of that because God loves you. Jesus is David's son, and therefore he is human. This is what Jesus is arguing. 
And Jesus is not debating whether the Messiah would be David's descendant. Jesus is debating with these scribes and Pharisees whether the Messiah would in fact be the Son of God. So notice what he says in verse 36. For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him... David calls the coming Messiah Lord. So how then would he be his son? David felt the understanding and burden and responsibility to humble himself in front of the Messiah. And yet these scribes and these Pharisees would not humble themselves in front of the Messiah. They would not humble themselves in front of Jesus. They would not accept Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus says in his humanity, the Messiah would be the Son of David, which of course Jesus fulfilled. And Jesus says in his divinity, he is the son of God. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. He is the son of David, but he is the son of God. Jesus was God in the flesh. And he demonstrated this over and over throughout the gospels. He healed, he taught. He rebuked demons. He rose from the dead. He died in our place. There are over 40 occasions in the Bible where Jesus is directly called the Son of God. And so what marks a follower of Jesus? A true follower of Jesus Christ recognizes that Jesus is in fact Lord. He is in fact God. He is in fact the coming promised Messiah. He is the Christ. That is what the word Christ means. Christ means Messiah. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're not, you're not calling him by his last name. He doesn't have a last name. You are saying, when you say Jesus Christ, you are saying Jesus, the promised Messiah, the son of David, the Son of God, God wrapped in human flesh. So Christians believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. To believe in Jesus is to affirm that Jesus was in fact, is in fact, the Son of God. That Jesus is the way to God. Jesus tells us, the truth about God and reveals to us the truth about ourselves and that there is no life here and now abundantly joy-filled purposeful life here or in eternity eternal life to come there is no life apart from Jesus himself so to believe in Jesus Christ means that you are entrusting yourself to the truth of who Jesus is You're taking God at his word. You're taking Jesus at his word. You're choosing to believe what Christ has said. You're choosing to reject what the world offers. You're choosing to reject what the devil has said. You're choosing to reject what your own flesh 
desires or craves and you're accepting the truth about Jesus. He is the Messiah. He's God. He is Christ. Your faith is never misplaced when your faith is placed in Jesus. So to believe that Jesus is the Christ means you are accepting what he has said about himself. You are throwing yourself fully on the reality of who Jesus is. And then you are responding in whatever situation you find yourself in. Good or bad, positive or negative. Uh, one that you prefer or one that you would not prefer. You are responding in those situations based on the truth of who Jesus is. A follower of Jesus calls Jesus Lord. He is my Savior. He is my God. He is the Messiah. The follower of Jesus, second though, believes that the scriptures are inspired from God. Notice what, uh, notice what Jesus teaches us in verse 36. For David himself said, you should mark this phrase, by the Holy Ghost. That's, that's, that's quite an incredible insight given to us by Jesus. What is Jesus affirming? Jesus is affirming divine inspiration of the scriptures. Jesus is affirming what the apostle Peter will tell the church later when the apostle Peter writes to the church and he says, holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost which is helping us understand something about the scripture. It's helping us understand something about the Bible. And that is this, that the Bible is a supernatural book. The Bible, the Bible is not like every other book. The Bible was written by human authors, 40 different human authors. It was written over the span of about 1,500 years, three different languages. And yet over the super intention of the Bible sat the Holy Spirit of God. And he is preserving the author's work from error without eliminating their style or their personality. So Jesus is helping us understand that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are accepting the reality of the word of God. That this book is not like any other book because this book is from God. It helps us understand practically then, does it not? That you and I need the word in our lives? If these words are the words of God, then why are they not the words that we cherish the most, value the most, pursue the most, love the most, memorize the most? You need God's word. You need God's word to help you understand who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, the purpose Jesus came, the reason, the fulfillment that Jesus, that, that, that Jesus completed. You need the word of God to navigate situations in this life. You need the word of God to give you wisdom and discernment and judgment and clarity. 
Because there is so much in this life that provides for, uh, for an uneasiness. It, it shakes us in our faith. It gives us discomfort. It challenges us, perhaps. It tempts us, perhaps. There, therefore, we need the word of God, which the Bible says is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It guides us. It shows us the way that we ought to go. These words, Peter says, are the words of life. And Jesus asked the apostles, will you go away also? Will you flee as well? Will you run when times get tough? And Peter answers Jesus, where would we go? Who else would we run to? Who has the words of life except you? Yet most Christians are not getting wisdom and discernment or judgment from the scriptures, they're getting wisdom or discernment or judgment or opinion from Google. These are the words of God. Therefore, we cannot overemphasize the words and we should not underemphasize the words. Now, the only way I know how to do that as a pastor is simply to take it all as the word of God, which is why we preach the way we preach here at First Baptist. Next chapter, next verse. Why? Because these are the words of life. And we need all of them to help us to navigate the situations that we find ourselves in. We don't need just a few handful of verses that we stick onto our refrigerator. No, no, no. We need all of these words because these words give us the discernment that we need in this life. How can you properly husband if you do not know what God has expected or written of you for your husbanding? How can you be the right kind of son or daughter if you've neglected what God has written for you and for me about the way in which we are to treat our parents? How can you properly know how to use your body or thoughts to think with your mind or things to look at with your eyes or things to touch with your hands or places to go with your feet if you are neglecting the wisdom given to us in the word of God by God himself? No, no, hide these words in your heart that you might not sin against me. These words are revealing to us then who God is, what God's plan is, who Jesus is, what Jesus accomplished for us. But these words are giving us much more than that. They are giving us wisdom. They are giving us discernment. They are giving us judgment. They're helping us navigate the issues of life. In fact, the, the writers of the New Testament go this far to say that in this book, God has given to us all things, listen, all things necessary, all things necessary for life and godliness. You hear what God just said in his, in his own word? He put himself on the record. Everything you need to navigate this life, I've given to you right here. And yet for most Christians, it goes neglected. The scriptures go unread. They go unmemorized. They go ignored. We value anyone and everyone else's opinion above God's. Paul 
Why don't you purpose this week to spend time in your Bible? Don't allow the pace of life, your temptations, your feelings, your disappointments, your doubts, your struggles. Do not allow them to diminish your walk with Jesus. Do not allow them to distract you from spending time in the word of God. We've said this over and over, but this is a good place for some of us to start. It's a good reminder. You ought to spend the first five minutes of your day in God's word. Before you do anything else, you ought to commit to spend the first five minutes of, of the day in the word of God. Now, now some, some in the room, you could do much more than that. You could do 45 minutes, and you ought to if you can. But others of us, this, is, this would be a good start. Just five minutes, the first five minutes in the day I'm going to spend in the Bible. I'm going to ask God to give me wisdom I need. It's amazing how many times this happens for me. This is to spend time in the Bible. Go, okay, God, I'm going to read this passage. I read the passage. I think, I don't know what that had anything to do with the day that I'm about to face. And some point, about halfway through the morning, God reminds me. A soft answer turneth away wrath. You read that this morning. I know that person's really mad. Maybe you should just talk kind to them. And God just brings to memory something I read that morning. A follower of Jesus believes that the scriptures are the inspired word of God. Now let me ask you this. If you truly understand who Jesus is, if you're willing this morning to say, Jesus is Lord, he is Christ, he is God wrapped in flesh, and these are the words of God for us, then would we not be absolutely foolish to disobey the word of God and ignore the Son of God? If you are prepared this morning to truly say, yes, I affirm that Jesus is God and these are the words of God, we would be foolish then to close our Bibles this morning in the next 15 minutes or so and then never open it up again for the rest of the week. And yet, this is how most Christians live their lives. They see church attendance as the box checked. The thing done. A God will be happy with me this week. Check. A follower of Jesus believes the scriptures are the inspired word of God and lives it as such. Third, a follower of Jesus practices inner devotion. Look what happens here. The common people, they heard Jesus gladly when he taught about these things. He said unto them in his doctrine, but the word doctrine there simply means teaching. So he said unto them, while he was teaching, here's what he said. Beware of the scribes who love to go in long clothing. They love salutations in the marketplaces. They love the chief seats in the synagogues. They love the uppermost rooms at feast. But all they are really doing is devouring widows' houses. They make this pretense with these long prayers, look how spirit. This is what they're saying. Look how spiritual I am. Look at all these religious things we do. Look at all these festivals and ceremonies that we go to. And yet, while on the outward, 
They are giving all these externals. They're showing externally, I have a good relationship with God. I'm living better than you when it relates to my understanding of what God wants. And yet, they have neglected the inner person. You see, being a follower of Jesus is more than just going to church. It's more than just walking down an aisle. Being a follower of Jesus is having Christ in your heart. It's saying, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you have believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You are, according to Paul, dead in your trespasses and sins, but when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you were made alive through his spirit. And Christianity is not a moral code. It's not simply rules to follow. Of course we love our neighbors. Of course we bless those who curse us. Of course we go the extra mile. But if all you care about is the external, then you miss the most important. And the most important part is not the external. It is the internal. It is that relationship with Christ. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, I just, I don't just, I don't want all these rules for my relationship with Jesus. I just want Jesus on my terms. I want my own freedom. I don't, I don't get into all that church stuff. That's not, I'm just not into that. I really love Jesus. I just don't like the church. You ever heard somebody say that before? Imagine someone saying, I, I want to be married to that person, but I just don't want all these rules for my marriage. I mean, I, I want the marriage, but I just want, you know, I just want my freedom. We just choose to go about our relationship, you know, just in a more open and organic way. You'd say, well, then you're not going to get married. Why? Because the relationship of marriage demands a particular exclusivity. The relationship of marriage demands exclusivity. It demands you forsake all others and keep yourself only for her, for him, so long as you both shall live. That's the demand of marriage. That's the vow you're taking. That's the covenant you're making. That's the expectation you gave. If you're married, that's the expectation you gave when you stood in a church like this, on a platform like this one, and said vows to your husband or wife. And no one got to that point and went, well, this is just so exclusive. I just, I don't know if I can live in such a narrow-minded way. No, everyone said, these are my dreams coming true. This is the day I hoped for. So, of course, we are not, we're not neglecting the fact that as Christians, we are to live in a certain way. Of course. But what we are saying and what Jesus is articulating is it is quite possible to be so focused only on the external that you have missed the most important, and that is the heart. It would be the opposite of the coin. The opposite of the coin would be saying, well, I'm really not about relationship, but I'm all about rules, and I did these ten things, and so therefore I equal married. I'm just not into the relationship stuff. I'm just all about the rules stuff. 
Well, if that's your approach in your relationship with your wife, you're not truly, fully loving your wife. Your business partners, your roommates, but you're not married. You're not, you're not experienced the fullness that God has given to us in the picture of marriage. And yet most Christians, that's what we do. We fall off on this side and we fall off on that side. I, I don't want any rules. I just want relationship. And Jesus is saying, of course you cannot have that. Because out of the heart of the man, that is what drives the actions, the words of the man. That's what, out of the heart of the man, this, this is where sin and evil comes from. It comes from our heart. It's not external behavior. It's not simply behavior modification. So, of course, there must be an inner relationship with Christ. But then we come to the other side and we go, okay, fine. I just have to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And ta-da, click my heels, and I'm a Christian. No, it's not how it works either. The scribes here, they had checked all the lists. They went to all the festivities. They had all the religious garment. They loved all the salutations. They sat in all the chief seats. And yet... They did not know Christ. A follower of Jesus, fourth, a follower of Jesus draws attention to Jesus. A follower of Jesus draws attention to Jesus. Notice the scribes here. The scribes, they want all the attention for themselves. They love salutations. They love it when people talk good about them. They love chief seats. Which in a Baptist church would be the back row. But they, they, they love the most important places. They love everybody watching them. They love everyone patting them on the back. They want all the attention. All eyes on me. That is literally their motto. It's interesting, isn't it? The ones who are supposed to know the most about the Messiah are the ones who look the least like the Messiah. By the way, before we're just really harsh on the scribes and Pharisees, we do the same, very, we do the same thing today. Even in our service for Christ. Are we doing our service for Christ so God would be glorified? Or do we do our service for Christ so we would be glorified? It's amazing how many Christians, when they come to doing their service for Christ, they want to post it to their social media pages. Look at me serving, click, click. Look at me helping the hungry, click, click. This is all about them while I take a picture of me. You see how we do that? You see how tricky it is? How easy it is to say me, mine. Affirm me, like me, be proud of me, give me the chief seat, give me the attention. Instead of saying, I want Christ to be glorified. I need no social media affirmation, I need no building of my brand. I just need Christ glorified. Jesus teaches us here that their real motive is pride, their real motive is Wealth, notice, they're devouring widows' houses. So not only are they prideful, but they're greedy. Taking for themselves what is not theirs. This happens today. False teachers come along the way demanding these sorts of things. Full of pride and greedy. Years ago I watched a, a false teacher, one of the 
Christian TV channels, a man responded that if you were right with God, God would bless you. You would be rich. He said, in fact, at this very moment, I tell you to reach into your pocket, pull out your wallet. And as you're holding your wallet, speak to your wallet and just say, in the name of Jesus, be full of money. Really? It's that easy? No, they, they, they love to draw attention to themselves full of pride, full of arrogance, with a heart of greed. A follower of Jesus avoids dangerous teachings. So Jesus says this, he says, beware of, beware of. Beware of these kind of things. Beware of scribes. Beware of chief priest. He's, he's giving us a warning, is he not? He's saying, listen, there are false teachings out there. There are doctrines of demons out there. There are worldly philosophies out there. There are vain and foolish imaginations out there. The flesh is stronger than you think it is. So beware. Beware. We have an enemy who walks around and just looks for someone that he can devour. Be aware. Walk circumspectly, not as a fool. But don't just skip your way through this life. No, no, no. Let this mind be in you. Think these thoughts. Be intentional about the things you do, the places you go, the friends you make, the things you post, what you look at with your eyes, what you touch with your hands. Be aware, he says. Why, why must we be aware? Because the danger is great. I gave this illustration to this last week in, in, a, in a, couple, a couple's counseling session. You know anybody who has fallen off the Grand Canyon? Anyone know anybody who's fallen off the Grand Canyon? Don't Google search me. I'm sure it's probably happened, but I don't know their name, nor do you. You know why you do not know anyone who has ever fallen off the Grand Canyon? Because when you approach the Grand Canyon, its depth, its scariness, its bigness, its vastness, it necessitates caution. So as you come to the Grand Canyon, you see this huge hole in the ground. That's really all it is. You see this huge hole in the ground. You come up to it and you go, oh, be careful. Ooh, be careful. Do you know anyone who's tripped and fallen on the sidewalk? How many of you know someone who's tripped and fallen? He's walking down the road, they've tripped and fallen on the sidewalk. How many of you know someone like that? Okay. How many of you? You are that someone. Okay. Do you know why almost everyone in the room knows someone who's tripped on the sidewalk? But almost everyone in the room doesn't know anyone who's fallen off the Grand Canyon. Because this necessitates caution. Of course you're going to be where the danger is great. But when you're walking down the sidewalk, what are you doing? You're throwing all caution to the wind. You're not thinking of danger at all. You're just going, oh, wow, what a beautiful day. Look at those trees. Look at that sky. Look at that car. Look at that dog. Look at that dog. Run! And you're not thinking at all about the sidewalk being broken, not being flat, a piece of slab being raised. And if you're walking, you trip and you fall. 
And so it is in our Christian lives. Oh, these things are really bad. Of course you're going to be careful about that. Yeah, but what about these small things? Jesus is saying, be aware. Be careful. Guard yourself in this way. A follower of Jesus avoids dangerous teachings. Last one, let me give it to you. A follower of Jesus is ready to meet God. Notice what he says. These shall receive greater damnation. There is a judgment from God that awaits all of us. Which is why we need a savior. This is why Christ came to die. Christ died and rose from the grave to save us from our sin. And being saved from our sin, Christ brings us into a right relationship with God. First Corinthians 15. Christ died for us. For us. Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. See, not, not only did he die, he died for us. He died as our substitute. He took our death he took our sin so that we might have his righteousness. The only way to truly be ready to meet God is to have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, then Christ has suffered the judgment for us. So God laid on Christ that day my sin, my selfishness, my pride, my greed. He laid it on Christ that day. And what God gave me in return is Christ's righteousness. So I'm asking you today, you must decide. Are you for him or against him? Your, your accountability to God has never been greater than it is at this moment. To say no is to invite what Jesus says is greater damnation, greater judgment. So that one day you will stand before God and you will have to explain to him why you rejected his son. Why you chose your own righteousness as opposed to his and in that day it will not be enough. Because even your righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. A follower of Jesus is ready to meet God. Not because we're perfect. Not because we're better than anyone. 
but simply because we've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've taken God at his word. We've chosen to believe on him. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? 